Hello and welcome to the show that teaches you things your parents and teachers are too afraid to, the Helios blog. Today, Piers Morgan interviews Jordan Peterson, and they're going to talk about, guess what, the patriarchy. The reason she's alone is because she's difficult. Women are not accepting the bare minimum. Women fuck men they respect. All the women who say things like, I'm strong, independent, I don't need no man, like, y'all impress me. Women just gaslight each other and say what they want to hear. I'm not so sure that the cancellation... Right, I was going to ask you on that, though. If it turns out, though, that these women are telling the truth and he is is demonstrated to be proven to be a rapist and sexual assault, presumably you would agree that that is despicable and he should be punished for his crimes. Well, as you said earlier, we have courts for determining that. And what constitutes the truth, especially in retrospect, particularly in the fog of an alcoholic encounter, let's say, is not an easy thing to to determine. And that's why you have to trudge so horribly through the court system to try to make sense out of it. And, of course, then what we do as citizens of a democratic and at least in principle functional society is accept the verdict of the court. You don't do that beforehand, and you certainly don't presume that just because someone's accused, it's time to strip them and throw them out into the street. And the reason you don't do that in part is, if that becomes the norm, it will 100% come to visit you and your loved ones. So, you know, when when uh, when you attribute to someone else the right to the presumption of innocence and due process, you are simultaneously, absolutely accruing to yourself that the old that that privilege and right and we have to remember that because we're all stupid we're all fools we all do stupid things and so we need careful protection for our own fragility and foolishness indeed presumption of innocence and due process is part of that protective protective structure we sacrifice that at our great peril even yeah and then you sacrifice everyone by doing that so enjoyable to do so right did you see the barbie movie not yet. Not Here yet. We I'm go. going to see it this week. I want to see it. From what you've gleaned about it, read about it, heard about it, it mentions the word patriarchy, I think, a dozen times or something. Oh, yeah. Um, patriarchy. Th- there's no doubt the whole theme of the thing is that, you know, you don't really... Patriarchy need- is the worst, guys. ...need men anymore, women. You can have everything you want without these ghastly people. And we need to completely dismantle the whole patriarchy and have a have a matriarchy, right, where women run everything and particularly oh, yeah, run, that'll work. Run, run beastly men. I mean, th- this this war on the patriarchy, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I would say the online world in many ways is a matriarchy. Indeed. And the reason I would say that is because the online world enables female form antisocial behavior. And females who are antisocial use reputation-savaging, bullying, and exclusion to gain their narcissistic pathway forward. There's a very well-documented psychiatric literature on female antisocial behavior. And the online world has many of the elements of a matriarchy. And so, yeah, well, there's the matriarchy for you. And I mean- yeah, and it works, it works great, guys. Totally works great. Not at all doesn't at all turn people into brainwashed idiot puppets that are just consumers doesn't at all do that doesn't at all uh, just teach people uh, you know you know heavy-handedly tell people what to think doesn't at all do that doesn't at all censor stuff that they don't think is okay doesn't at all do that I mean I'm not saying it would be worse or better 
than the patriarchy, although I, you know, the patriarchy is it's a foolish concept to begin with because it's such a radical oversimplification. But um, the idea that if we just replaced a hierarchy of men with a hierarchy of women or no hierarchy at all, I mean, if you think that, you're so foolish that you should be put in university and educated by people who know what they're talking about. Indeed. Of course, we can't do that in the universities anymore either. So. Yep. It was extraordinary on universities that Harvard University, I think, has just been voted the worst in the world for free speech. It's almost like it doesn't exist at Harvard. That's actually hilarious, considering what universities are supposed to be. Worst in America, I think it was. I mean, how, how can it be that Harvard has become this barometer of the enemy of free speech? Well, it took a lot of work to manage that. It took Indeed. decades of, of, of something approximating foolish conspiratorial uh, maneuvering to manage that. I mean, you've got to ask yourself, is Harvard a university or a hedge fund? I mean, as a massive endowment, it, it seems to me very often that the university is just a sideshow for, for the people who govern the Harvard, Harvard's economic affairs. But, but that aside, it's taken a very long time to let the woke mob and the, and the progressive propagandists take over the university systems and Harvard's in the forefront and so they managed it a little earlier and a little better and I say that by the way with absolutely no um, satisfaction I worked at Harvard in the 90s I was a professor there from 92 to 97 and I loved it and it was one high-functioning institute at that time man Um, it really really valued excellence and it just didn't talk about that it actually did it and I loved being there the students were great the professors were great. I really liked my colleagues. It was an admirable place. And I still have colleagues there, and they've told me straight out that it's a disaster. They say what they think. The bureaucracy has taken over the institution. The inmates run the asylum. The professors are terrified, too. I've, I've had Lovely. professors from the Kennedy School tell me this, too, that they, they can't say what they think anymore. And so when you let the second raiders and the pretenders in and and you let them whine about victimization and oppression, and you let them usurp the, the appropriate function of the university, you get exactly what you deserve. And that's exactly what Which is a disaster, happen. yeah. And it's still happening. Exactly. When you just allow... Um, what, is, what is it called? It's that, it's that expression, like, first they came for this person, then they came for that person, then they came for that person, finally they came for me. So, again, one of the reasons I have this YouTube channel is because of that. Because you can't just sit by and let the powers that be decide that they can choose what the dominant narrative is. And just, you know, who are they to tell us exactly what we're allowed to say and think? That is insane to me. Actually insane. Like, how dare you presume that you know better than me? It's not improving. I can't really see how it will. I think that to flip the universities, you'd have to do to them what Musk did to Twitter, which is to fire 90% of the people who work there. Indeed. And that's just not going to happen. So, you know, I think the most ridiculous. I started a new university with my daughter. Right, I'm going to come to to that. Redress it that way. When Michaela joins us, we're going to talk about that university. I I, want to just, I mean, on the university, I, I remember one recent case. It was a professor who, for 25 years, had given a lecture in the use of offensive language. And as part of the lecture, he used offensive language. And he got cancelled for using offensive Hilarious. Language. At that point, I realised that parody was dead. Uh, everything was dead. I mean, in that moment, you couldn't parody the, that, that a professor teaching 
how to use offensive language, using examples of offensive language. It's not allowed. to have offended students so much that he has to get cancelled and lose his job. I mean, completely insane. Indeed. Yeah, well, welcome to the land ruled by the evil clown. You know that, that he has ascendance, so to speak, when, as you pointed out, you can't parody it. It's gone to the point where it's its own parody. Yeah. And I see that happening all over. And, and part of the way you deal with that, and I mean this most seriously, is you deal with that with a, with a positive sense of humor. And I can do that when I'm not ill, and I'm mm. feeling much better even than I did last year when we were talking. And mm. so I can handle it with a bit of a sense of humor now, and you need to do that. Um, if you lose your sense of humor... Uh, how would I describe it? It's, um, you know what it's like? It's a lot like a crap test. And that's what they say. Like, uh, uh, the first reference I heard to this of a womanism being a crap test is uh, in the early 2000s, right? I, I read it on the RP forum. Um, so the principle is that you have to treat the, the like womanism like it's a crap test. So you, you either agree or amplify, you ignore, you're above it. You know, you treat it exactly as um, a crap test that a girl will do. Or you can, you know, um, verbal jujitsu. But in no case do you submit to it. Do you allow it to happen? Do you allow it to occur without being called out in some way? Because if you don't do that, well, then the crap gets worse. And that's the problem. The problem is you can't allow it to get worse. In some ways, you've been defeated if you lose your sense I, I of humor. I completely agree. And, uh, if, if we don't continue to laugh, then these joyless, soulless, right. woke wastrels win. Exactly. Because they are joyless. They don't yep. laugh at anything. Exactly. They, they are offended by absolutely No, and they don't like everything. comedians. That's right. Yeah, they, they find comedy yeah. offensive. Well, the moment people find comedy mm-hmm. offensive, I find them so offensive, I want nothing to do with them. Indeed. Mm-hmm. You, are, you can tell the tyrants they hate two things. They hate comedians mm. and they hate cars. <laughs> That's so true. It's so true. I want to talk to you about your, your new book, We Who Wrestle With God. Yep. A lot of your fans, there's all yep. sorts of Jordan Peterson groups that you can join who debate whether you really believe in God or not. So let's just get it on the table. Do you believe in God? I think he does. <laughs> I, don't think that's any of, I don't think that's anybody's business. I think it's the most private question you can ask someone, but then I would say also, uh, what's the right response to that? By their fruits, you will know them. How's that? Well, That's let me ask, right you, a different, let me ask you a different question, question then. Do you, do you think there is a God? Vitalist a 60 use and recommendation come only in the purview of a diagnosed case of EDED or erectile dysfunction diagnosis, and thereafter, the recommendation of Vitalist a 60 pills is only under the authority of a doctor. Vitalist a 60 mg as such has a single medicinal compound as its compositional element, which is Tadalafil. This generic element works out a way for the males to get an erection through the increasing blood flow process, which takes place under the effects of vasodilation. Oh, I'm terrified that there might be. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a great response. That's Pascal's wager, by the way. Very clever. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to be a smartass when I'm making that comment either. Like... They say, it's an, old, it's an Old Testament saying, I believe, that 
the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and that's actually, that is actually about as true a statement as you could manage in such a short phrase. And, you know, people have congratulated me. I was at the Buckley Institute last night. They were congratulating me on my courage, and I think, and I said this last night. It's like, you guys don't understand. It has nothing to do with courage. I'm it's actually, um, you get screwed either way, right? It's like exercise. If you, if you don't exercise yourself of pain in the future, if you do exercise yourself of pain right now, right? So that's the principle. You have to suffer. I'm just afraid of different things than the people who lie. Right. I'm afraid, for example, of what happens when you lose control of your tongue. And I said that back in 2016 when I first opposed the Canadian government. And people were, you know, congratulating me. It's like, well, you're so brave to stand up to the government. It's like, I'm nowhere near as afraid of the government as I am of what happens when people lose control of their tongue. I studied totalitarianism for, well, since I was 13 years old in depth. And I know what happens when people lose control of their tongue. Mm. What happens is everything goes to hell. And I don't mean, I mean that metaphysically. I mean, might even mean it theologically, but you can just say, don't even bother with that. Well, what's fascinating? Let's just okay. mean it practically. But what's interesting is, I completely agree with you, by the way, um, and you are the most open book of almost anyone I've ever interviewed, right to the point I asked you if you believe in God. I didn't actually know what you were going to say, but for some reason you're reluctant to say. Why are you reluctant? Well, okay, let's, let, let's walk along that. Well, because it's, a, it's not a... It's not a well-posed question. It's too complicated an issue to be dealt with like that. You step into instant traps just by accepting the question. So I'll show you what I mean. So the first thing I would say is, what do you mean by believe? Like, do you think that a statement about the existence of God is something like a scientific theory? Do you think it's a list of facts? Is it a factual question? Does God exist or not? Is it a factual question like you're asking about whether a cup on a table exists or a plate on a table, an artifact in a room? What do you mean by this? What do you mean by believe? I'll stake my life on the proposition that God exists. How's that? Well, is that an like, answer? Well, that's no, the right answer. I would ask you, here's my supplementary. Do you ever pray? Always. Who do you pray to? The spirit that protects you from hell. <laughs> Many people would say is God. Hey, sounds good to me. And so you might say, well, I said I pray always. So what does that mean? I'm trying to say the most, the clearest words I can say. And I do that by paying attention. I'm listening to the words and feeling them as I move along, thinking, is that a firm foundation in the morass. Is that, a, is that a bridge over the abyss? Is that word the right word? I do that when I'm writing. I do that when I'm talking. And I do that because I don't want to be in the abyss. And the pathway over the abyss is the truth. Now, with regards to belief in God, you might say, and I know, I know that, that you're not particularly religiously inclined, at least that's the theory. It's like, well, you have a character, Pierce. Everyone has a character. You could say that would be the spirit of Pierce Morgan. And then we might say, well, let's inquire into that spirit. If you were a hedonist, then the spirit that would be Pierce Morgan would be your hedonistic whims. And that would be your God. 
I would say if you're a noble person, then your spirit is something elevated above your mere whims. And then there's the spirit that's inculcated within you. It's a consequence, perhaps, of your socialization, but in a more sophisticated way, it's actually a consequence of the spirit that you've allowed as a consequence of your choices to dwell within you. And that spirit has a nature. It might be allied with the truth. It might be allied with falsehood. If it's allied with the truth, it's a manifestation of what has been considered traditionally the logos. The more you're aligned with the truth, the more your spirit is an avatar of the logos. And that's just, it's true. It's religiously true, as it turns out, but it's also technically true. It's technically true. See, I had a debate... And so I'm, going to, I'm making that case in the new book. Right. So I had a debate with Richard Dawkins about this, uh, who was a bit disingenuous for me, because he sat with me for a whole show, seemed to enjoy it, thanked me very much for it, and then called me a fool afterwards in some podcast. So I, I know you've had a few Ooh, run-ins with Lovely. Me, and I, it doesn't surprise me. But uh, what I said to Dawkins was, because I was raised a Catholic, I was given spiritual guidance for several years by Catholic nuns, uh, and I do believe in God. And the reason I said to him is that... No human brain can really explain to me, or anybody, what was there before, before nothing. So if you believe in a Big Bang Theory, well, what, what was there before that? Because I don't think any human brain has that power to, un, to explain or answer that question. To me, it makes perfect sense. There should be some being. Yeah, it's like the, the god of the void, right? The god of the, of the unknown. It's pretty much what has always been considered as god, right? I don't know how lightning works, therefore it must be Thor beating his hammer. I don't understand what happened before time, therefore it must be a deity. Um, I don't know if that's the most sophisticated argument, but, like, it is an argument, um, certainly. Again, perhaps I'm, like, I've, I would say I'm, like spiritual but not religious what is that agnostic or something like i don't think i'm the greatest power in the universe but i also don't believe in you know control of the masses through a religious text but whatever that's neither here nor there entity something which is superior to a human brain and i'm i would think that someone with your brain would think that too because there are questions we simply well, can't answer okay Okay, three things about that. So the first is, that's the argument by design, that things are so complex and sophisticated that that cries out for the hypothesis of something like a creator. I'm not a big fan of the argument by design. I can see its advantages, but it isn't the primary argument as far as I'm concerned. So the, the Big Bang proponents have a problem because it's a tenet of the Big Bang theory that the laws of physics themselves break down at the point of the singularity, and that would be the point just before the Big Bang. And when you say the laws of physics, the existence of space and time even, is an unknowable prior to the Big Bang, you're basically positing a miracle at the beginning of existence. And so if you get to have your miracle, there's no reason the religious types can't have theirs. Well, that's what I was thinking as well. what miracle needs to be, and I think that's an argument that has to be had. I don't like the argument by design. I like the argument by conscience better. So the argument by conscience, which is another string of classic theological thought, is that something dwells within you that aligns you with the spirit of reality. And it's the still small voice within that was identified first by the prophet Elijah. And it was part of a transformation in the religious viewpoint in historical terms that moved 
the notion of God from something like Baal, B-A-L-B-A-B-A-A-L, a nature God, the God of storms and earthquakes, of, of, of what would you say, remarkable and awe-inspiring natural phenomena, to the voice within that can, if you attend to it, align you with the structure of reality itself, that internal voice being a manifestation of God. And I think that's an extremely powerful argument. And I think it's right. So God is Jiminy Cricket? The angel on your shoulder? The person telling you to do the right thing? Interesting. Interesting idea. So what? Psychopaths don't have that or they choose to ignore that? Meh. All right. Interesting. And I'll tell you something about Dawkins' work that's very interesting. Mm. So Dawkins has pointed out that an organism has to be a microcosm of its environment in order to survive. And I would say the the voice of conscience within us is the most unerring manifestation of the microcosm within. And I think you can make an extraordinarily powerful biological case for that. And I've done that in this new book. So I think Dawkins' argument... I think Dawkins' argument invalidates his, his epistemology. Yeah, I agree. I really believe that. But what do you think? I mean, you, you've had moments in your life in recent years where I would imagine you have faced the prospect of potentially dying. And in those moments, yeah. in those moments, what have you felt? And what do you think happens to you? If you do die, or you had died, what, what did you imagine might happen to you? Well, at the, I had lots of moments, moments, years in the last few years where dying would have been an absolute relief. And had that been accompanied by the complete cessation of my being, I would have been perfectly content with that. There are things that are far worse than dying. Indeed. So if you're only terrified of dying, you've hardly begun to plumb the depths of existential catastrophe. <laughs> de- death, death is fairly... You just don't have an imagination. What could be worse than dying? Uh, torture. Uh, living but not being able to die, you know, such as uh, uh, trapped in the box syndrome or whatever you call it, you know, where you're lying in bed and all you can move is your eyes and you can't do anything else. That'd be pretty bad. Being a prison guard at Auschwitz? But you'd still be alive, even if you were witnessing horror. It's not death that the Oh, no, I'm thinking perpetrating it. Indeed. Right. You mean carrying- how about a, how about being an Auschwitz guard? At a, how about being an Auschwitz guard who really enjoyed his job? Hmm. How about that? That would be messed up, very messed up. Worse than death, as far as I'm concerned. Right. I mean that. No, no, I, I see that. That's hell, man. Yeah, it's a living hell. That's hell. Living yeah, hell. Mm-hmm. But do you think so? You literally are the demon in the story. Then. But do you so, think there's an actual hell, Jordan? Is there? Is there somewhere? that people like that go to, which is hell. Eternal damnation. Oh, definitely. Now, what, what relationship that has to what happens to you when you die, I have no idea. I mean, I don't think anybody's in a position to speak about what's truly beyond our ken, let's say. I don't think we understand consciousness at all. We don't understand time. We don't understand the relationship between finitude and, in, and, and, and the... In- we barely understand anything. If you actually think about scientific progress, we're actually right now just scratching the surface. ...finite landscape that surrounds us. That's all a great mystery. And I tend to leave that alone because I try not to speak about things that I can't speak about. But does hell exist? It's like, 
study history and see if you can figure it out for yourself. Literally. Does heaven There's exist? nothing. There's nothing that's more obvious than that hell exists. So does, mean, does heaven exist? Mao's China was hell. Right. But does, so you're talking about hell on earth. But do you believe there's a hell after death? Uh, like I said, I, I, I can't, I can't, I don't speculate about such things. I don't, that's where my ignorance finds its, what would you say? That's where my knowledge finds its limit. Indeed. I'm, I'm concerned enough about what I'm doing right now, right here, and, and leaving the rest of that. And, you know, I'm, so I have to leave it at that. The hell that I see as a potential on earth is sufficient as a deterrent. And it's of, of sufficient reality. You know, you can ask, well, is it eternal? Well, I would say, well, look, all totalitarian states are variants on a theme, let's say. And that theme persists. All archetypal stories are eternal. Everything that happened Indeed. in the Bible happened and is yep. happening and will continue to happen That's forever. Right. Yep. It's part of the eternal human story. It's hyper real. Right. And, and heaven and hell are part of that. Mm. What that means in the final analysis, I don't know. I mean, you asked, I think you asked in there, you know, there, hell is real, is heaven real? It's like, mm. well, heaven is as far away from hell as you can get. Mm. That's a good way of thinking about right. it. Um, I've spent my whole life trying to determine how you get as far away from being a camp guard at Auschwitz who enjoys his job as possible. And one of the things Interesting. one of the things I've realized in recent years, for example, is that you are far from that if you're engaging in your interactions with the world in the spirit of voluntary play. You know, and we're playing during this conversation, and Joe Rogan plays on his podcast all the time. And if you're in a playful state with your wife, your marriage is optimized. And the state of play is the opposite of tyranny. And that's why it says in the Gospels that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a little child. So, <laughs> you know, you, reinstate that. you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of Picasso. So Picasso said, uh, I spent my whole life trying to learn. I spent my whole life trying to learn how to redraw like I did when I was a child. And I think there's something very deep to that. And that's, that's what it immediately reminded me of, that idea. That open-eyed, wide-eyed acceptance of life that is the precursor to voluntary play. You want to develop your character to the point where that's part and parcel of your life on an ongoing basis. And that's allowing that spirit of the logos to inhabit you. That's another way of thinking about it. And you can, you can certainly aid that with prayer. It also sounds it sounds a lot like uh, what they advocate for on the RP, Amused Mastery, is what Jordan is describing. Okay, uh, we're going to end the video there. Hit the like, hit the sub, hit all the notifications. Drop me a donation like Hunter M, Adrian Altom, and Bobby did in Renaissance Press, and Brian shout us to you, most recent Patreon subscriber. Go buy my books at bit.ly slash Books. My Patreon can be found at patreon.com slash the blog. And, uh, of course... Uh, if you want coaching, just email me at theheliosblog at gmail.com. I'll slot you right in. Thank you so much for listening, guys, especially if you listen to the end. I really do appreciate it. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time.